0: Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. John chapter 14, verse 12. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. in light of all that we've just heard of what Jesus promises will be true for those of us who follow him, which is us, and what we've witnessed uh, happening in the Acts of the Apostles through the Apostles, the question that rises in my mind is, really? (laughs) We're going to do, we will do greater things than Jesus did? We will do greater things than Jesus did? We'll do the same kind of works that Jesus did? Jesus, just in case you've forgotten, would heal people from their sickness instantly with a prayer, often with a laying on of hands. Jesus would cast out demons and they had to obey him. He could control the wind and the waves when he calmed the storm. He could multiply bread out of thin air to feed hungry masses who were listening to his preaching. Of course, he also raised dead people back to life. The little girl, Tabitha, and Lazarus. Have you done greater things than these? I haven't. But we know the apostles did, right? Well, that's what we see um, beginning on this first day of Pentecost, the day we celebrate today, 50 days after Jesus himself rose from the dead, 10 days after he ascended into heaven, as he promised through his spoken ministry, he then delivered on that promise and sent the Holy Spirit from heaven onto the apostles on this day. That's what we heard about in Acts. And the first thing that happens once the Holy Spirit comes to indwell them, right? Jesus says, you, the Holy Spirit is with you right now, but he'll come to be in you. For the apostles, that was the day of Pentecost. Ever since, that's been since we were baptized, as we read about in Paul's first letter, baptized into the one spirit, 1 Corinthians 12. The apostles received the spirit and they just start preaching in other languages that they didn't know by nature. They didn't go to language school um, that was just a supernatural ability to preach to that long list of nations, which was well read by art, Pythians, Medes, and Phrygians, and Cretans, and whoever else is in that list. Um, they just were able to preach. They had this miraculous thing. And then from that day forward, in the book of Acts, we see this black and white comparison in the lives of the disciples compared to how they were before the Holy Spirit came. Right? I'm sure this is something, you've heard, that particular thing you've heard preached on many times. But it's true. <clears throat> we see the disciples in the Gospels ignorant, confused, hard to understand things, totally getting it wrong, um, and then cowardly running away, scattering in the day of Jesus' trial. With one exception, John, the beloved disciple. But they go from sort of ignorant cowards to bold, wise, courageous witnesses to Jesus. And it wasn't that they just sort of pulled up their bootstraps and got on with it. It's the Holy Spirit that had transformed their lives. And we see recorded in the book of Acts, Um, the apostles did a lot of things that Acts doesn't mention, right? It's sort of like a best of. In fact, we only even hear about a few of the apostles, Peter and James and Paul and a couple others here and there by name, but, you know, Acts doesn't mention much about Thaddeus or James, the son of, um, you know, Judas, not Iscariot, or or the other apostles who are are mentioned. But what we see in the greatest highlights, Luke is taking pains to sort of, guided by the Holy Spirit to show That the apostles did the same kind of work that Jesus did. So, Jesus healed the sick with a prayer. The apostles healed the sick with a prayer. Jesus raised the dead back to life. The apostles raised the dead back from life. Back to life. Jesus preached and lives were transformed. The apostles preached and lives were transformed. Like, the parallels are many. And it's to show that Jesus really meant what he said. You're going to do, empowered by the Holy Spirit, you're going to do the same thing. as he himself did, because he himself was obeying the Father. Similarly, casting out demons. And this operation of the Holy Spirit doesn't end with the apostles. There, there are some churches which are teachers which are convinced that, well, that was for the time of the apostles only, and then it stopped. But I think they just haven't read the records of church history. One of the privileges of being an Anglican is we like to listen to all of the has come before us in church history and in every century of the church there are holy men and women who empowered by the holy spirit do the same kind of things that the apostles have done speaking in miraculous tongues healing the sick even raising the dead casting out demons and performing signs even uh the power of god over nature um, uh, what was coming to mind is I was thinking, like, you know, what, what? there are so many, like, which specific saint stories would be useful to tell? One that strikes me is St. Hilarion um, in the early fourth century was praying with some uh, brothers on a, on a beach. And they saw a tidal wave coming in, like a huge, like, tsunami sized <coughs> tidal wave. And they knew they were just going to wipe them all out. So he makes the sign of the cross in the sand. And he just says, Lord, we're ready to die to come before you, but in your mercy, save us. And they watched this tidal wave collapse into a little baby wave that just kind of lapped up on shore. And the whole like, coastal village was saved and everyone was fine and glory was given to Jesus Christ. And things like, I mean, it's one of the fun things about church history is to read through and just see all the powerful operations of God through ordinary men and women, decade after decade, century after century, to encourage the faithful and specifically to witness to the power of God to unbelievers. The greatest miracles that we see church history, as with the apostles, is when the gospel is being brought into new lands to sort of show the people, look, these are not just ideas, we're still speaking about a real God who's really in our midst. As Paul would write to the Corinthian church, he says, look, we didn't come just with fancy words, we came demonstrating the real power of God through the miracles of the Holy Spirit. So in the, lives of, in the life of Jesus, in the lives of the apostles, and throughout church history, we see Pentecostal, sp- meaning spirit-empowered, spirit-filled, miracles and powerful things happening all over the place. Which comes back to this question, Well, and this is the question I want to really hone in on, well, where is that in our lives? Where is that in our lives? Why don't we see these sorts of things Uh, as readily or as often today. And I want to put a little footnote there to say, um, some of you have, some of you have shared stories with me of things you prayed for that then miraculously transpired. Some of you have witnessed the power of God from time to time. Hallelujah, thanks be to God. So I'm not saying like, oh, this has never happened here, what's going on, but in my life too, I'm like, well, my life doesn't look like one of the apostles. I've had a few moments here and there where I've gotten to sort of see from a distance something like it, and it was a great joy. Um, But I also look at my own life and I'm like, oh, it doesn't look quite like that. And the question is, why not? Uh, So I was thinking and uh, asking the Lord, like, well, well, why not? And um, four things came to mind that I think uh, impede or sort of blockade the powerful manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our lives as Christians and as a local church. I think the first is, um, and I, I'm indicted myself on this one too, I don't think we really want it. And I, my, if I'm honest to my own impulse, I, I think most of the time I, I kind of just want a normal life with some God in the mix. Um, I'll take that as a chuckle of recognition. Which is a problem. It means I've really failed to grasp the joy of what it would mean to live wholly abandoned to God and to not settle for just an ordinary life. And I think we need to recall that Jesus actually says the ordinary life, the normal life, isn't a neutral thing. It actually is a... There's like a... It's it's perilous. It's fraught with danger, which is not how we think, but it is what Jesus says. Recall Jesus' teaching of the parable of the sower. The third thing, you know, the third category of seed, there's the ones that fall on the path, on the rocky soil, and there's this ones that fall among thorns, and it starts to grow but never comes to fruit. So as seed is useless, if seed doesn't come to fruit, it didn't do it, it. didn't do what it was supposed to do. And he says that the seed that's sown among thorns is that which is, quoting Jesus here, Luke 8, 14, choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And that, that phrase just cuts me open, because I'm like... Instinctively, I'm like, oh yeah, ca- um, caring about your life and riches and pleasures. Oh, <laughs> right? I mean, it's, that's actually sort of what we think of as just the bread and butter, the normal life we're supposed to be living for. And Jesus says that very pursuit is the very thing which is hampering the fruit of the Spirit coming forth in our lives, the power of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit coming forth in our lives. So I think we should look first even to our own desires. And maybe the best we can muster this morning is and in my moments, the best I can muster is to want to want it, right? That even that one layer of distance. But even that, the Lord accepts. Say, well, I, I want to want a supernatural life. Even if we don't right now want a supernatural life like the apostles lived. But to begin to think about seeking to reorient our hearts towards what we're even looking for as the life that we want to have. I think it's something which is manifest in so many arenas in the economy of God that he says if you don't want something he won't give it to you. Right? I mean I think of the parable of the talents. He says to the, the bad steward who just buried the talent who says oh you're a hard man and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. And he says you say I'm a hard man? Then so shall I be towards you. Like there's this thing if he is towards us how much in the degree to which we invite him in? He doesn't just sort of force His way into our lives. We have to desire and invite His power into our lives. So I think the first thing is we don't even want it it out of the gate. Part and parcel of this, the second thing which I think sort of blockades, you know, the, the, the biblical word there from the parable is chokes, that chokes sort of the Spirit's manifestation in our life, um, is that we're always a little bit skeptical that it's even possible. Part of our over-attachment to the material and tangible things of this life is deep down, and again, I'm not immune to this, I'm talking about our general condition, the thing we're all bound in together. Deep down, we kind of think if you can see it and touch it, it's real, and if you can't, well, maybe. (laughs) But the Christians of old were convinced of the opposite. They're like, oh, this stuff? This is all just passing away. This is going to get burned up a bit in the Last Judgment. What's really real is the unseen God and His Holy Spirit and His powerful power working through us. So I think we constantly need to be sort of taking the axe to sort of our skepticism or unbelief that these things are real and could happen. So desire, unbelief. But I think that the larger part, the the, the biggest thing, and the thing we can actually really kind of put our hands on in terms of what is choking the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives... Well, actually, to get there, maybe a, a visual picture is better. The Holy Spirit is often spoken of in the Scriptures with a metaphor of water, right? The prophets, when they prophesied about the Holy Spirit that came on this Pentecost, said, He will give streams of living water. Jeremiah and Ezekiel talk about this living water. And Jesus, with the woman at the well, says, I will give you living water that, that never sort of stops flowing out of the heart. And even, as we heard Paul say in First Corinthians 12, he says... We've all drank from the same spirit, right? It's kind of water imagery. So I think that's how we, we can really conceptualize what I, the heart of what I want to say this morning, is each of us was given the living water when we were baptized. That's why God gave the symbol of physical water, to symbolize the living water. We're given the sort of deposit of like a wellspring, which would bubble up and flow out, And the great dilemma we find ourselves in is because of the sin of Adam and our own sins, we find ourselves with this dam that's blocking that outflow of the living water. It's dammed up. And thanks be to God, the power of water erodes and pushes against the dam, but also he asks us to cooperate with that work by breaking apart the dam. What is the dam? Selfishness, self-servingness, self-will, sin, the effects of sin. And how do we pull it apart? Obeying Jesus when he commands us to deny ourselves. Deny yourself, follow me, take up your cross. Which is actively doing the opposite of getting more and more tangled up in the cares and the riches and pleasures of life. To say, even nothing is too small. I constantly am referencing dessert from the pulpit because that's a constant struggle for me. And yet nothing is too small to say, well, I could just indulge my pleasures again. Or... I could rip another brick out of the dam and say, no, I won't do that, because I want to practice, I want to be shaped by a life of self-denial that seeks instead to follow the Father, that the Holy Spirit, the living waters, could pour out more fully. Because this is what we see in the lives of the apostles and the lives of all those through whom the Holy Spirit manifested powerfully through all of church history. In every case, they are men and women who were practiced and habituated in, in a life of prayer and self-denial. They weren't just sort of the casual Christians who were like, ah, you know, I go to church every now and again, and, and okay, God, here, I really need a miracle. Like it, It's in every case, like the apostles we see in Acts were gathered in the upper room, praying, vigilantly, watching. They were, they were on guard, and lo and behold, the Holy Spirit came and manifested Himself through them. This is, I think, the only way we can make sense of when James says the prayer of a righteous man is really effective. It is the basic teaching of the gospel that none of us is righteous. None of us out of ourselves is righteous. Christ alone is righteous. So what is James saying? And he, quote, he mentions Elijah, right, who prayed for no rain and there was no rain. He could, God answered him to have control over nature. It's not that an inherent righteousness just sort of springing up from ourselves. It's making way for the power of God, for the righteousness of God. The righteousness is in his work, which we cooperate with, tearing down the dam, inviting more and more of God into our lives. That's why Elijah's prayer was heard, because he was a man who gave his life to prayer and self-denial and wearing that nasty haircloth like John the Baptist wore, you know, living a hard life, choosing a hard life. And lo and behold, his prayers were very powerful. Same thing with the apostles, same thing with all the saints in church history. Um, their lifestyle is not coincidental to how powerful God was in their prayers. Um, so, and this isn't even to speak of sort of willfully rebelling against God and sinning against God in the same picture. That would be sort of tantamount to throwing logs and sewage and pollution into the water that would even further dam up its overflow, its coming out, right? When we choose against God, we really, we are actively hu- hurting the ability for the power of God to be manifest in our lives. So I hold that up as an example to us that if we want to have a more supernatural life and to not be among the seeds who live among the, who are choked by the thorns, to follow the way of the apostles and all those through whom God has used for miraculous things and seek to live a harder life. And for each of us, according to our station, there is an immediate next step that is different for each of us. If you are already plagued with many hard things, it probably just means embracing rather than running from those hard things. But if you're surrounded by a very happy life, it means, well, choosing, well, what things can I deny myself to continue to sort of have the Holy Spirit break apart that dam that we could live a life Manifesting God's power. So I think one of the things that sort of hinders this is we th- we look at someone like Elijah or John the Baptist and it's a million miles away of growth. And think, well, I could never get there, so we just stay static. God's not calling each of us to be a John the Baptist and Elijah. Maybe some of us, but the goal is sort of t- to go in that direction according to wherever he has placed us, wherever we find ourselves today. To lean into that next step of self-denial instead of just choosing to have a nice life. And again, I'm speaking to myself here. This is a daily struggle in our more wealthy American context. So the the last thing I want to say is, um, in terms of things that choke or blockade the powerful manifestation of the Holy Spirit that we each have, each of you is a temple of the Holy Spirit, make no mistake. Um is the thing I mentioned before that the manifestation of the power of God is, in, is chiefly, its chief purpose is to show unbelievers that God is real. So in the degree to which we're engaging with unbelievers, we might then expect to see more and more powerful working of God because God's miracles sort of prove and verify uh, his gospel us here in this room, we don't need to see a miracle because we already believe in God. You already believe in God. You're already here. So to ask for a sign at this point would be to be like the Jews in Jesus' time. who are like, well, just show us another sign and then we'll really be convinced. And it's like, no, you already should be convinced, as you already are. Um, we don't need to see miracles. Non-believers may need to see a miracle. And that is when God seems to often demonstrate his power. So, As we start thinking, and you see how all these things are connected, when we are less fixed on just a sort of normal, nice life and start thinking about a supernatural life like the apostles, part of that involves reaching out with sharing the gospel and engaging non-Christians in whatever arena God has placed you in. And in that arena, things may present themselves where you might get this idea, well, maybe I should pray for healing for this thing the person told me about. And kind of going out on that limb. We can't control the Holy Spirit. It's not magic. All we can do is pray. But that's what the apostles did. They just said, Lord, heal this person. <laughs> Please. It's a petition. And let's see what God does. So just to recap then, four things I think which I want to point out that are blocking, choking out the power of God in our eyes. One is just not even wanting a supernatural life. Um, the other is, is perhaps skepticism that maybe God can, or can still do these things. The third would be sort of a lack of self-denial or lack of obedience to God and the last would be not engaging with unbelievers. And my hope is that we would as a church um, do the opposite, that we wouldn't settle for those things, that an appetite for a supernatural life beyond an ordinary life would start to grow. And I actually have every expectation and confidence that in the years to come in our life together, we'll actually see more of God's power in our lives as we grow in our faith and in the practice of our faith of prayer and self-denial. That we will grow in our conviction that we really do have the Holy Spirit of the living God living within our chests and that he really can do powerful things if we pray and ask for his power. I'm excited to see what might be ahead in the years to come for what the ways in which our life might look more apostolic and Pentecostal together. Let me pray for that end. Father, we don't want to just read about the great Christians in the past. We want you to make us into great Christians. Great by our lowliness and our humility and our service of you according to the upside-down economy of your kingdom. I do pray that you would give each of us, myself included, that you give each of us more of a longing to live a supernatural life, not just a normal life. And that through that longing, you would build into each of us more practices that would tear us away from just the enjoyment of the things of this world and towards the enjoyment of you and your work And that just as your Son did on earth, we would look to you for what to do and how to do it. And that through that, you yourself would begin to, would continue to be manifest powerfully in our midst. I thank you, Father, for sending your Holy Spirit, for giving each of us the Holy Spirit that unites us to your dear Son, Jesus Christ, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be all glory now and forever. Amen.